Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everybody welcome back to believe in the jaguars right here on the believe podcast network my name is phil smith aka phil the filipino and joining me as always is my co-host james johnson the managing editor of the jaguars wire via usa today and jay we are back with a brand new episode back in better than ever as they may say we're going to go over a little bit of news and then also talk about your defensive uh, what you're going to be looking for on the defensive side of things when training camp starts up, if you guys missed it, we did the offensive side of the ball a couple of weeks back. So make sure you go back and check out that episode if you haven't yet. Uh, so, Jay, it's good to see you. And uh, as always, it's uh, good to talk about uh, talk some Jaguar football with you. Yeah, man, I, I can't complain and glad to be back with you as well and talk some Jags football, man. Uh, the, the podcast is continuing to flourish and do well. Uh, albeit, you know, the draft is over, but people still sticking around to support us. And that's even despite our last two episodes having a little delay on it, but we'll get it out on time this week with us being stationary. Again, appreciate everybody that's uh, rated, commented, subscribed and all that. I think we're at 35 ratings now in terms of the total number last time I checked, all of which have probably upset one. I wish I knew who that was. <laughs> All of which have been five stars. And yeah, then we got a one star know. from one yeah, hater. We'd like to talk to you. Yeah, you know, we just want to talk. Yeah, yeah. We just want to talk to that one hater, right? Uh, but yeah, man, still nonetheless can't complain, man. And uh, ready to talk about these defensive takeaways I got for training camp because it's going to be an exciting time uh, for the fans as, uh, you know, the Jaguars get ready for the 2021 season. That's correct, folks. Well, Jay just alluded to it right there. If you have been listening to the show and you are enjoying it, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us that five-star review. It is one of the best ways you can support the show. You can also subscribe. That helps as well. Along with Apple Podcasts, we are also found on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And of course, you can find us on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on social media as part of the awesome Believe Podcast library. You can tweet or follow the show on Instagram at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. And of course, before we get started, we have to give a special thank you to this week's sponsor, which is Bet Online. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and Bet Online is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, uh, Phil, actually, before we get into the next topic, while we're on the topic of sports betting, it just hit me where you were talking about it. Guess what is going down in Florida? I don't know if you've seen this, but sports betting has been legalized in Florida, or it will be legalized it's in the beginning stages. I think I did see something about that. So, I mean, that's it's it's slowly making its way across the country, and you know, it's just going to be part of everyday life pretty soon. 
Yeah, like, so, like, what I'm getting at here is when BetMGM wants to come to Jacksonville and they want to build a four seasons, you know, because this seems to be the trend. We've seen this. This seems to be the trend. When Shad Khan puts up his four seasons and, and Bet Online wants to put a studio in there, we better have dibs on it. All the advertising we didn't put in the game, right? <laughs> we better have dibs on it to do the Believe in Jazz podcast. I'm just saying. And, and, and we'll do a damn good job in the process, by the way. Hell yeah, man. I absolutely agree with you. So, you know, whenever that does, uh, that, that time does come, if you haven't uh, heard about some of the uh, the things that they are planning for downtown Jacksonville, make sure you check out last week's episode where we did an in-depth episode on the development plans for downtown Jacks, as well as that new practice facility. And who knows, you know, maybe like, like Jay said, we'll be getting that MGM grant down here in downtown Jacks. That way we can, uh, you know, throw our hat in the ring for, uh, for some sponsorship. But uh, Jay, we're, of course, as we tease at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about the five takeaways, uh, five or six takeaways that you have as far as what we're going to be looking for, what you are going to be looking for on the defensive side of things. I do want to get a little bit of news out of the way first. Uh, earlier today, we are recording this on June 10th, Thursday, June 10th. The Jaguars have signed third round pick safety Andre Cisco, making him their fifth draft selection to sign alongside Jalen Camp, Luke Farrell, Jordan Smith, and Jay Tufele. With Cisco signing, the Jags only have their first and second round picks left to sign, which, of course, being quarterback Trevor Lawrence, running back Travis Etienne, defensive back Tyson Campbell, and tackle offensive lineman Walker Little. So, Jay, they're slowly knocking them off one by one. We did see the news that Justin Fields signed his day uh, his deal earlier today. So I expect we're probably getting closer to that Trevor deal probably any day now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff is already ironed out because, you know, under the, well, not even the new CBA, but the CBA before this one, they had rookie allotments where each player gets slotted a X amount of dollars or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, like the structure of the deal is already done. I don't know, like, what's what's the hold up with the rest of it. But, it, you know, it's probably some little minor details that the agent has to check off here and there and all of that stuff. Uh, but it'll get done nonetheless, um, as we've seen with the last two first round picks like Kyler Murray and uh, I think it was Baker Mayfield that I had did some research on on the timeline. So they typically get done within a month and some change, you know, something like that. So we'll see. Uh, but time will tell on those. And um, yeah, man, Travis Etienne as well, Walker Little, Tyson Campbell. Uh, won't be surprised to see those guys, especially, you know, the non-Trevor Lawrence guys that get knocked off soon. And within the next week, I wouldn't be shocked to see that. That's right, folks. So make sure you stay locked in to the Believe in Jags pod, Twitter, as well as the Jaguars Wired. And we'll make sure to keep you guys up to date on all of those happenings. The other thing we have to talk out here, talk about here today, Jay, of course, just breaks our heart. We actually talked about how we wanted to make sure we were adamant we didn't want this to happen. And of course, that was the Julio Jones trade. And this past week, the Atlanta Falcons agreed to trade star wide receiver Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans. In exchange for Jones, the Titans will send a 2022 second round draft pick and a 2023 fourth round selection to the Falcons. Uh, the Falcons will also send a sixth round pick over to Tennessee. So, Jay, what we didn't want to happen has happened. Uh, of course, uh, you know, he is now paired up with uh, Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry. Shout out to A.J. Brown, man. Uh, he he was campaigning for this and he got it. You know, as much as I don't like the Titans, I am a little bit of a fan of A.J. Brown. But, you know, here, lo and behold, here we are. The thing with me, you know, the mainstream media seems to be kind of split on this. Yeah, to me, and, and, you know, I'm not engrossed 
with the Titans organization. Of course, I try to pay as little attention to them as actively possible. But, you know, to, to me, I don't know about you, but the Titans didn't seem to be a Julio Jones away from a Super Bowl. So what did you think about this whenever uh, the deal came about? Yeah, I agree, man. Um, but at the same time, I felt like they would be the team to get him because I feel the Titans are probably in that mode where they're in desperation mode. They go into the playoffs, what, the last two, three years, uh, haven't really – I mean, I think one year they made some noise where they went to maybe the AFC Championship and faced the Patriots, I think it was. But aside from that, they've yeah, never yeah. really, uh, you know, they haven't been able to make any noise in the playoffs. And, I mean, you know, I think they're in that desperation mode to the point where it's like, okay, well, let's add this guy who, you know, most of us believe is a – well, not most, everybody pretty much believe is a future Hall of Famer and arguably, you know, a top what – three, four receiver in the league right now. Let's add him to the mix and see where that could get us. Um, but again, like you said, uh, how does the defense show up? You know what I'm saying? Like, I forgot their statistics defensively, but they weren't like necessarily, if I can recall, now I could be wrong, they weren't necessarily a top 10 defense. Um, and it's it's just, you know, a lot of questions going on there with uh, them losing Arthur Smith as well. Like, does the offense continue to thrive as it had been? You know, you could dealing with a new offensive coordinator there. Uh, and it, again, this is my opinion. So it's not the same offensive coordinator, though they could use the same offensive scheme and what have you. But uh, we'll see, man. Like, how does Tannehill look under the new coordinator, this, that, and the other? Does it work out? Uh, how, how is Julio's health going to withstand throughout the season? You know, that's kind of been a big deal with him lately as well. So. No doubt they made it tougher. And, you know, Urban Meyer spoke on it early in the week. Uh, no doubt they made it tougher. Um, Meyer knows Julio Jones, of course, from when he was with the Gators. But no doubt that they made it tougher on the AFC South. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we, we got some weapons of our own on defense, too. We, we're an improved unit on defense, too. So we'll see where it goes. And, of course, we got a quarterback now. So, like, that's always been a big issue when we face the Titans. But we'll see where it goes. Uh, hopefully we can still split the series down the middle. Uh, but with Julio coming into the mix, I'm a little skeptical of that happening. But we'll see. We'll just tune into my predictions, our predictions, should I say, to see if, you know, we split a game with the Titans. Yeah, that'll be, uh, of course, we are a couple of months away from that, but I'm very much looking forward to that episode. The thing with this, Jay, and, and maybe you can comment on it as well, is I don't think this changes the DNA of the Titans. Like, I think I saw a statistic where it said Julio Jones had been the most targeted receiver over the last couple of years. And that's not going to be the case anymore. Like Tennessee is still going to try and run the ball down your throat with Derrick Henry. So I'm very interested to see how they, how Julio specifically adjusted this. And not only that now, granted he was just playing with Calvin Ridley, but you know, AJ Brown is, is kind of a, you know, I think a little bit differently in that Tennessee offense. So I'm interested to see how everybody adjusts as far as everything, except for Derrick Henry. He's not going to have to adjust at all. <laughs> yeah, not just that. What what took me by surprise a little bit was the compensation that it took to get him. You know, and, you know, here we were hoping the Patriots would step up. It's crazy to say we were hoping the Patriots would get him and keep him out of the division. <laughs> How nuts is that? All right. Here we were hoping the Patriots would step up. But again, I've said this in, you know, the uh, Back Shoulder Fade podcast with me and um, my buddy Josh. Shout out to Josh, our buddy Josh. But I said this, the Patriots are known for busting your head when it comes to compensation to move, you know, up in the draft and take their spot. But when it comes to compensation of any sort, 
to to give to a team they don't want to give it up you know so they'll they'll take a lot from you but they won't give a lot up to get whatever they need to get done so that's why I never thought the Patriots would step up to the plate and do it and that's why I always thought the Titans would be the team and I had like the Chargers as a dark horse uh but yeah when you look at the compensation man I was like really I mean I understand he's 32 years old and all of that but I feel like, you know, like it could have been better than, you know, just a second. And I think they gave up a fourth or something like that. I forgot what it was specifically. But for me, like it should have been like maybe a second one year and, you know, maybe a second the year after or something like that. Because, I mean, even though Julio Jones is up there in age, I think you still got if he's healthy, you still can probably get like three to four Hall of Fame caliber years out of him if he's used right. You know, so this isn't your average 32 year old guy, in my opinion. Um, but nonetheless, it's done and uh, the Titans have him and and now we got to deal with him. So now it falls on uh, Shaq Griffin and and CJ and, and Tyson Campbell, Cisco, all of them boys. Uh, they got to concoct something together and, and make it work, man, and, and see if they can slow him down, man. Because, uh, like I said, he's an ageless wonder and a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm sure they will definitely do everything they can to make sure he is uh, ingratiated with that offense, but it will certainly uh, be something we'll be watching closely with him being now in the division. So he now goes from the NFC South over to the AFC South. All right, Jay. Well, you know what? That's enough about the Tennessee Titans. It's going to make me sick and I'm having a pretty good day. Uh, Let's move into our takeaways here on the defensive side of the football. Of course, as I mentioned, we did the offensive side just a couple of weeks back. So if you missed that episode, make sure you go check it out. Of course, we talked about Trevor Lawrence and the uh, the receivers and everybody over there on the offense. But we're going to get into the defensive side of the football here, Jay, which, of course, we know needs just a total revamp and, you know, needs, of course, to have a much better showing than it did in 2020. So this first uh, takeaway here that you have is something uh, related to some interesting information you found out about the Ravens over the last few years. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, actually it was the last month or so that I found this out. Thanks to Trevor Sycamore of um, the the draft network. He's a good follow, by the way, for those of you who want to go and follow him. I think he actually covers the Buccaneers too. Um, Don't hold me to that, but I think he covers the Buccaneers too. So all of the world champion fans out there, if you aren't following him by now, go ahead and do that. But he pointed this out on Twitter. It came up on my timeline and uh, I did some further research on it too, because it concerned us, but he pointed out that the Ravens blitzed at a 54.9 rate in 2019. And as we all know, Joe Cullen, our defensive coordinator is coming from Baltimore. He was the defensive line coach. And, uh, you know, we just basically are looking for clues as to what the Jaguars could do. So they blitzed at a 54.9 rate, almost 55% in 2019. I went and researched the next year to see how they did last year, which was 2020. And they blitzed at a 44.1% rate. Now, both of those figures, the figures from 2019 and 2020, led the league in, uh, in terms of the blitz rate. So that being said, with this being the install period, with OTAs being the install period for the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, it seems like, and Joe Schobert has even said this, by the way, you know, that a lot of the stuff that they've done in installs has been like 50% blitzing. So it's looking like, you know, they're installing a lot more blitzing and they will be a blitz heavy team or uh, they'll blitz at least more than they did last year on the Todd Watch, because as we all know, that's predominantly a defense that relies on the front four to get 
pressure and not really the linebackers or anybody else. It's just the four linemen that you have. Uh, but it looks like there's going to be a change there with Joe Cullen coming into the helm and uh, taking over at defensive coordinator. So that's one of the things I'll be watching in training camp is how much blitzing are we seeing? Because obviously, based off of what Schobert said, that's a lot of what they're doing right now in practicing OTAs, which, uh, you know, we get sporadic access to as the media. But when training camp comes around, of course, the access will be a little bit more heavier and, and more people can get involved in whatnot. And I'll see, I'll be looking to see how much they are blitzing, what kind of blitzes they're using. And also, what are they pairing with these blitz packages, right? Are they using man coverage with them or are they doing zone blitzing? What are we looking at here exactly? Uh, but again, you know, this is nothing that's not new to us. You know, me and you discussed this, Phil, when, after watching the Baltimore Ravens over the last few years or so, they are a blitz-heavy team that likes to use man. So that's what we about what we suspected or expected, should I say. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, still, it was about, you know, Joe Cullen being a first-year defensive coordinator, if you want to put it that way, because, yeah, a, a first-year defensive coordinator. Uh, what he what he want to utilize what he saw or witnessed in Baltimore, and we're starting to see that as very, very uh, likely in the early stages of the offseason. I mean, Jay, I, I, I don't want to uh, put you on the spot too much here, but do you know, I mean, 54.9 seems like a pretty high number. Do you know if, if that's the, there's usually always a team in the league that's blitzing that much every single year, or is that a little bit of an anomaly and you expect to see that maybe carry over here? Yeah, that's a good question. Like to me, you know, just based off of what my eyes have seen in other teams, that seems like a high rate, uh, a ridiculously high rate to me. But, you know, like we've been so caught up in watching the Jags for many, many years. And, you know, it, it's our secondary teams, the Falcons, and, and in your case, um, the Dallas Cowboys, we've been so caught up in watching them the last few years that, we haven't really paid attention to like what's the standard blitzing number in terms of a rate, but still like, you know, that's, that's a lot of gambling. You know what I'm saying? If you look at it from a perspective of defensive scheme, that's a lot of gambling there <laughs> to, to rely on man-to-man -man coverage and, and taking your linebackers out of coverage or, you know, your defensive backs, whatever the case may be. But look, obviously for the Ravens to use it that much, it worked to some degree for them. And uh, we'll see, you know, how it works for the Jacksonville Jaguars because, again, they didn't blitz a lot under Todd Wash. Like, that was an issue with Todd Wash. We've said it on the podcast. Like, he needs to blitz more. You know, whatever the case may be, stop relying on four to get to the ball because it's not working. And that's a routine issue with that scheme, that Seahawks scheme that we've seen. Is It's not enough pressure on the quarterback if you're relying on four. Look at the Seattle Seahawks, for example. They've been they've been in the bottom of the league in terms of pressure and in terms of getting to the quarterback with their four guys. And they're really struggling. They look nothing like the Seahawks of old, the, the Seahawks that we've seen go to two Super Bowls in the last decade. So that being said, I mean, it's definitely looking like we're looking at a significantly different scheme. And I'm excited for it because, I mean, I, I like some of the things I have seen out of the Baltimore Ravens on film. Yeah, and in, and in between this, uh, you know, through the power of podcast editing magic, Jay and I went on a little trip and just checked out who had been leading the league in the last few years as far as blitzing, and lo and behold, it's been the Baltimore Ravens. Now, back in 2018, it was only by a couple of percentage points over the Pittsburgh Steelers, but this has been the way that the Baltimore Ravens have liked to operate as far as the defensive side of things. Jay, we're going to move into the next one here in just a moment, but really quick, 
I mean, do you feel like the Jaguars have the personnel in place? I mean, here on June 10th, you can only tell so much, but do you feel like they have the personnel in place to have your blitz percentage be upwards of 40% or higher? I've been trying to figure that out for the longest, in my opinion. I mean, obviously they have, they have the, the perimeter rush linebackers, obviously Taylor Vaughn, Chase on and, and, um, and Josh Allen to rush, not necessarily blitz, but to rush from the outside linebacker position. But yeah, I mean, like, so when you're talking about blitzing, I mean, like, where is it coming from necessarily? Like, is it coming from your secondary? Uh, is it coming from, you know, your middle linebackers? Because in, in a 34, you got two middle linebackers, basically, which in this case, it'll be what Joe Schobert and Miles Jack. So, I mean, like, you know, Miles Jack is a guy that, you know, that'll be interesting to see how much he gets to the quarterback in this new scheme. Uh, Showbird, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what his strength is to be exactly. And that's not a knock on him, but um, listen, we were know, like, defending I, I Showbird, and then he <laughs> made us look bad. So you say whatever you want. <laughs> right, right. So we'll we'll see uh, how Showbird improves under this game. Now, this is kind of familiar territory for him. I'll say that uh, because you know he well he's been in a bunch of schemes, and I wrote about this. He's been in the league, what, five years? You know, he's seen probably three to four coordinators throughout that span. I mean, between the Jaguars and the Browns, I mean, I'm sure he's seen a lot of coordinators. <laughs> um, and he's seen a lot of things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, if I can recall, Greg Williams might have been in uh, Cleveland at one point in time. I don't know if he was there with uh, Schobert, but you would think, like, that was a blitz-heavy time for the Browns as well. So, like, this probably isn't, like, you know – in familiar territory for him so you know he could he could very well look better in this scheme too and much better than he did with Ty Wash or whatever the case may be so uh we'll see man um again like where is the pressure coming from again like hey they've drafted guys like Tyson Campbell who they say they want to move all over the secondary does he see a lot of blitz in action you know um they added Andre Cisco does he see some action out of the secondary to have opportunities to blitz as we all know they have you know, cornerback blitzes, you know, that they're kind of rare, but cornerback blitzes are a thing as well. So uh, we'll, we'll see how uh, Joe Cullen goes about this thing, but it's going to be interesting. And uh, fans at least should be happy and excited about the whole element of looking at something entirely different than what Todd Wash was throwing out there. And that just straight up made us sick for what, four years or what? Dating back to whenever, uh, that was 2017, the AFC Championship. That was when we knew. That Todd Wash wasn't gonna cut it. When he sat back and let the Patriots carve him up, it, it went all downhill from there. And uh, you know, here we are now, new defensive coordinator, new mind, new philosophy. We'll see how it goes. Well, let's get into the next piece here with you, Jay, and that is going to be focused on the defensive line. And, uh, you know, one of these takeaways has to deal with a guy that we were, of course, very high on in 2020, showed great, a great growth. Two guys actually between. Devon Hamilton and Adam Gotsis. So what are you going to be looking at for those two guys specifically? Yeah. So is Devon Hamilton, and this doesn't necessarily mean you have spoke about this. This doesn't necessarily matter, but does Devon Hamilton crack the lineup as, and we'll say a quote unquote starter, because I mean, it really, and why it doesn't matter is because they're going to rotate heavily, probably just based off of what we've seen from, uh, you know, the Ravens and, and Cullen and company in the past, but, Still, it's going to be interesting to see how they valued, in my opinion, they valued 
this new staff value Hamilton's film from last year because it was pretty good for the most part in my opinion. I mean, he didn't grade high on PFF necessarily, but I mean, I know that Chargers game for sure. That was one that caught our attention. We like this dude can ball, man. Like he was all over the place. They could not stop him. And, uh, you know, like I'm excited to see, you know, him learn under uh, coach Tosh Lapoy, who was the, um, the defensive line coach, the new defensive line coach and learn from Cullen. As we said, Cullen has a defensive line background. He's a defensive lineman coach uh, for the majority of his career. You know what I'm saying? At least in the NFL. So he's a guy that could teach guys something. And we heard Austin Lane speak highly of Joe Cullen and his teaching for defensive linemen. That's definitely going to help these young men in the trenches. Uh, so where is he on the depth chart? And also, like, is he playing snaps at, um, you know, in the 34? Is he playing snaps at defensive end? Or is he at nose tackle? Where is he lining up in the alignment? Because there are some people that think he could play in in the 34 as well. But, you know, I'm thinking we'll see him at nose tackle. But time will tell. I mean, Malcolm Brown is here now. That's a veteran uh, that could, you know, line up and start, quote unquote, uh, in the middle of the, the defense for 34. So we'll see right there. But he has a lot of tools to learn from between Brown, Tosh Lapoy, and Joe Cullen. So it's going to be, regardless, it's going to be a good year for Devon Hamilton, in my opinion. And he's going to show that growth because he has a lot, a lot of people to teach him. And then my my second takeaway or my, my second thing I'll be looking for is does Adam Gotts is cracked the lineup as a starter as well? Because he played well, in my opinion, last year. Uh, he was good against the run. Um, we certainly don't want to see Taven Bryan heavily used in the lineup. <laughs> I mean, unless, you know, if Taven Bryan come out there and make significant progress and looks like a, a significantly better player. Uh, well, that's for his next team. Thing. But, you know. Right, right. But uh, Gotts is, is a guy that, you know, I think like he had an underrated season. He was kind of overlooked. Uh, he's a guy that I think that might be better in a 34. Um, Again, it's a multiple defense. They'll use multiple alignments, which helps him. You know, he's played in both schemes now. And I think he could really shine, you know, regardless of the alignment, 34, 43, whatever the case may be. I think he could really shine. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that, again, if you go on the timeline and look at people Jags Twitter timeline you know he was a guy that flashed on occasions and people were impressed by so I'll be watching those two guys when it comes to the work in the trenches yeah I'm really excited to see the type of growth we can get from that we'll see from Devon Hamilton especially with Malcolm Brown coming in and you know just his ability to take in all of this uh, this new information you know if they're going to be blitzing heavily then you know Gatsis and Devon Hamilton are of course going to be have to be playing at a very, very high level. So plenty to watch out for there on the interior or on the defensive line. Well, let's move into the secondary here, Jay. And before we do continue, I just want to let you guys know uh, the audio may be a little bit uneven in this episode. Uh, we were having some technical difficulties, just the joys of podcasting. Jay, as you know, we've been doing this for a while, but let's move into the secondary here of uh, what you'll be looking at. And this actually has to do with a guy that we mentioned at the very top of this episode in Andre Cisco and Jared Wilson, the guy that he may be trying to replace. Yeah, I mean, does Andre Cisco replace him as a starter? I mean, we know that Rayshon Jenkins is going to start at one safety spot uh, because they're paying him a lot of money in free agency. Um, albeit, you know, you can make the argument that the Jaguars had a lot of money to spend and it wouldn't hurt them if Jenkins didn't start. But it, it definitely sounds like they don't want to waste their money and they're going to let him start. And he's been sounding like he's one of the leaders of the secondary in this whole process along shot, alongside Shaquille Griffin. So that being said, who takes over that other safety spot? 
between Gerard Wilson or Jared Wilson and Andre Cisco. Uh, me personally, well, we got to see what Cisco is health wise with the ACL. Uh, but for training camp, I don't know if he'll be 100 percent, but if he is 100 percent, um, I, I definitely think he could give Gerard Wilson a, a run for his money and replace him. Uh, because this is one thing we've talked about in this podcast, Phil, is that Gerard Wilson isn't necessarily a safety that's been necessarily bad for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The issue with him has always been he just hasn't made enough plays. So in, in other words, he's just there. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not playing bad. He's not playing necessarily good. He's just kind of there. He's not getting a lot of picks. I know he got a pick last year against the Houston Texans. I remember that game because he was returning from injury. But, you know, aside from that, we haven't really seen impact plays from him. And you're going to need impact plays from the safety position, especially with, you know, this new scheme and, and whatnot. I mean, we've seen it. Like, they got some guys in Baltimore that, uh, you know, can eventually be pro bowlers or whatever the case may be. And they once had Earl Thomas as well. And then, you know, they had some friction with him as well. But we'll see where things go. I would put my money if Cisco is healthy on Cisco uh, because his production in college and, you know, his film just says he's a playmaker. The what, 12 interceptions or something like that? Yeah, he man, had. he was nuts in college. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. And you I see mean, why that's, our that's... buddy Joe DeLeon was such a big fan of his. <laughs> Exactly. Is that I mean, and like, you know, when you see your safety play, because safeties play in a lot of open field, when you see them that productive with interceptions, that's telling, you know, and to me, you know, that says that he's a impact player in terms of making plays, in terms of getting picks and whatnot. Uh, and that, that it says that, you know, the Jaguars drafted him for a reason because they might feel that they're not getting enough of an impact out of Gerard Wilson or Jerry Wilson. I keep saying Gerard, but Jerry Wilson. So we'll see. That's going to be an interesting um, battle there. They had a little video of those two, uh, of, of Jerry Wilson coaching him up, uh, Cisco. So it seems like it's going to be a good competition. It's not going to be one of those competitions where there's friction, this, that, and the other. And, uh, yeah, we'll see who turns out to be the winner when training camp ends. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, unfortunately had that ACL injury in 2020, but his sophomore year, 2019, all ACC second team, 65 total tackles, 10 passes defense, five interceptions. And then that freshman campaign, man, uh, 60 total tackles, 18 passes defense and seven interceptions. That's where you got that, uh, those 12 interceptions from. So he's definitely a playmaker and we certainly expect him to keep that up here. And, um, you know, like you said, I, I would give him the edge as long as he is healthy uh, for a guy. And Jared Wilson, who obviously is held in really high regard. He was a team captain. Last year, that doesn't happen on accident, you guys. You know, um, maybe it did with Minshew just for circumstances. But for a guy like Jared Wilson on the defensive side of things, I mean, he was looked at as a leader. So, and I think, as you mentioned there, Jay, if he's, we've seen him coaching up Cisco, I think that leadership kind of shines through there on Jared Wilson's side. Uh, let's move into the defensive backs here, Jay. Of course, we are going to be very, very focused on last year's first overall pick, or number nine overall pick, first round pick. CJ Henderson and then Tyson Campbell, who they selected here in the second round. And you were kind of curious as to if uh, Tyson Campbell is maybe going to be, uh, you know, trying to edge CJ out a little bit here on the defensive side. Yeah. I mean, this was the question that popped up in everybody's mind, you know, when soon as we took the podium for pick number 33 and took Tyson Campbell, who, you know, we had a, we had a clue. We had some hints that that's where they were going to go. And the thing beforehand was like, why? You know, we didn't understand, like, is anything wrong with CJ? And actually, speaking of CJ, Coach Urban Meyer did give an 
uh, a update on him in terms of his status. Uh, he had labrum surgery, which I reported earlier on the Jaguars wire. I think I reported that months ago, and he's recovering from that. Coach Urban Meyer did say that he's not quite, from how I gathered it, he's not quite ready to return to uh, doing team drills with the team and all of that. He's been kind of working off to the side, if you will, with, with Campbell, coincidentally, who um, Campbell tweaked his uh, hamstring in the first day of rookie mini camp. And, you know, you just want, like, with hamstring injuries, it's just a matter of being cautious. You don't want it to turn a, a prime example is, you know, what we saw happen with Josh Oliver. Uh, it's a soft tissue injury. You don't want to make it worse. And, you know, it's just OTAs. You don't want to risk his health in OTAs. So they could take their time with him. And, you know, they really could just wait until mandatory mini camp, or they can even go as far as wait until training camp to start getting Tyson out there. And, and, and same can be said for CJ Henderson. And I think like that may be what we're training towards. It's seeing both of them on the field in terms of teams drill, uh, team drills and competing with the receivers. I think we'll see that maybe towards training camp. Uh, both of them are, are talented young men. You know, the thing with the Jaguars, what they were saying with Campbell is they feel like he could play all over uh, the secondary, if you will. So, you know, that's something to be mindful of. But nonetheless, you know, I think Ta Tyson Campbell is tal talented enough. If he could work on his his uh, ball analysis skills and finding the football, that was something we talked about when he was drafted. Uh, if he could work on that, he's a solid defensive back that could start on the perimeter and could replace C.J. Henderson. But right now, if Henderson is healthy, me personally, I give Henderson the edge. Um, and that's, again, if he's healthy, come training camp and the labor room is doing good and, and this, that, and the other again. But if he isn't healthy, you know, and he's missing time, he can give the edge to Tyson Campbell because he's missing time on the field and, you know, this is a deep cornerback group. You know, you got guys like Sidney Jones that's going to be pushing in there as well. Uh, he has to stay healthy as well. Trey Herndon, former starter as well. Plenty of guys in their rotation to make the overall group better and push each other to get the best out of each other. So um, those are the two top dogs I'm looking at, though, in terms of that, that other spot to start alongside Shaq Griffin. Jay, let me ask you this, of course, as a – you know, as a Bulldog fan, of course, you're heavily entrenched with the SEC. If Tyson Campbell is and say let's let's say in this scenario, both players are healthy, CJ and Tyson. And if Tyson Campbell comes in, you know, and edges out CJ Henderson to start on the outside, is that are you more impressed with Tyson Campbell or more concerned about CJ Henderson if that happens? I think I'd be more impressed with Tyson. And that because that would show significant growth from him, because, again, we're sitting here talking about his ability to find the ball. And that's what really hurt him at UGA. And, you know, him cracking the starting lineup would mean probably that that has been fixed, that he's made a lot of progress in terms of, you know, learning the NFL game, jumping from, albeit the SEC in Georgia, jumping from the SEC in Georgia and replacing somebody who was a starter last year is a huge step. Despite him being a high round pick and despite him coming from the SEC and despite him coming from Georgia, that's still huge because I believe that C.J. Henderson is a talented player. And I don't think like it's, you know, if you unseat him, you're really unseating a good player because we seen last year in, in sporadic moments and occasions that C.J. Henderson can ball. We saw it week one. He was I mean, he, he put up like an 85 and on PFF week one against the Titans. Um, we saw, you know, he, he flashed Colts. a little he bit week two. 
excuse me, that was the Colts week one. Week two, he flashed against the Titans as well, showed some tackling ability. And that was the thing with CJ. He showed us he could tackle. That was the concern some people had with him. Can this kid tackle? He, We saw him bringing out Derrick Henry in the open field. And I remember seeing that play like he chopped Derrick Henry's arm down because Derrick Henry tried to throw the stiff arm, chopped it down and chopped his legs. I was like, dude. This 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 CJ Henderson kid is ready, man. Like if he can stay healthy and he can continue to grow. Uh, but you know, he also had moments where he struggled as well, you know. And another prime example of him flashing again, he flashed before he went on IR. That was what week 10 against the Green Bay Packers, going toe-to-toe with Devontae Adams, stripping Devontae Adams and causing a fumble that game, catching him from behind. The young man can play. And, you know, I, despite him being a, a Florida Gator and how much I don't like them, I've, I've always been okay with admitting the Gators that could ball, man. Big Joe Hayden fan, big Pouncey fan. They got some ballers that have come out of that school. You know, the Jets seem to hit on Gators, but, you know. <laughs> it's I was going to say, none of, the, none of the ones that we get, but so there right, are some. Right, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Derek Harvey and all of them never paying out. Reggie Nelson. Oh, man just complete misses man and uh but you know here we are uh and and again you know i think like that would speak volumes for him to and i'm I'm talking about tyson campbell see a cj henderson who made strides last year and even like at points i would even go as far as said was looking like he could be the defensive rookie of the year at certain points uh so that would be huge for tyson and i mean like if he unseats him man like Consider me, I mean, I'm already a fan, of course, as a Georgia fan, but consider me somebody who will probably end up getting that jersey if he can get it cracked the lineup as a starter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and you know what? It's definitely not going to hurt the team to have multiple players in the secondary that are capable of making plays. You certainly can't have too many playmakers, especially now when you're in a division that, of course, has Julio Jones and A.J. Brown on the same team. Go ahead, Jay. Right, and that's one thing we're seeing, like, you know, some people might have thought it was BS when Urban Meyer said, hey, we drafted Tyson Campbell and Trent Baalke said it's too. We drafted Tyson Campbell because you need uh, you need a good five cornerbacks on your roster. And, you know, some people are like, ah, oh, that's that's kind of BS. I'm not buying that, this, that and the other. But that's true in today's day and age with the receiver sets that are being thrown at people. And the just the you know, the, the amount of injury you endure at the cornerback position. Uh, because it's a it's a position that requires a lot of athleticism. You know, you see a lot of hamstrings getting tweaked, a lot of ankles getting tweaked at the cornerback position. You need depth there. You know, and we last year is a prime example. You're right, Phil. Last year is a prime example that you need depth there because, as we saw, C.J. Henderson ended up on IR. Sidney Jones ended up on IR. That's two of your top cornerbacks that ended up on IR. And the Jaguars, as we saw, had no depth to to make up for it you know Trey Herndon was a penalty machine on the outside maybe he's better suited for for nickel we'll see um and you know just some all of these guys that they threw in and out of the lineup just weren't the answer love Barku whoever you know so uh it's good to have that depth there this year I mean I like the numbers that they have there uh aside from Campbell aside from Henderson aside from Griffin you know they got Trey Herndon they also got Sidney Jones that's a good five a good five to go into the season, the regular season with. Well, let's talk about a guy here for your last takeaway. Uh, The last thing you'll be keeping your eye on in training camp. And we just talked about, or you mentioned him a couple moments ago, 
And that is Shaquille Griffin, of course, uh, you know, the big free agent signing coming over from the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, that's something that you are going to be keeping your eye on is because of how he was used in Seattle. So what is it specifically about Shaq Griffin that you're going to be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, we touched on both of these subjects. We touched on Shaq Griffin early and we touched on the amount of zone coverage we see in that Seattle Seahawks scheme. Predominant cover three scheme. You know, we we've witnessed it for years and years and years between Gus Bradley, Todd Wash. Um, I'm sure a lot of us seen plenty of film on the how the Seahawks when they were the it thing, you know, and they were going to Super Bowls as well. So, you know, that's just what they do is a lot of zone. And, you know, Joe Cullen is, you know, is a guy that could probably utilize a lot of man to man, you know, especially with the blitzing. Again, you could use zone blitzing as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, with the high degree of blitzing, expect to see a lot of man to man opportunities. And, you know, just how does Shaquille Griffin translate if this is turning into a predominantly man scheme is my question, because they paid him a lot of money, you know, so that's kind of a risk in itself. They paid him a lot of money. But obviously, when you pay somebody that kind of money, you feel like they could they can handle whatever, you know what I'm saying? Man zone, whatever the case may be. So they got a lot of confidence in him. You know, we just want to see how it works out because he's going to see a lot of fierce competition. Um, You know, we've been on record for saying this receiving core is, you know, underrated. And a lot of people need to give this receiving core their flowers. He's going to be seeing the likes of DJ Chark in man-to-man -man coverage. He's going to be seeing the likes of Colin Johnson, who is 6'5", 222 pounds, in man-to-man -man coverage. He's going to be seeing LaVisca in man-to-man -man coverage. And we all seen, can't nobody stick with LaVisca in man-to-man -man coverage when it comes to pure strength and all of that. Like, he just make people look like little boys out there, man. But, you know, he's going to be seeing all of these guys. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr., a veteran savvy player who has, you know, put up a lot of, touchdowns in the last three years going to be seeing him in man-to-man -man coverage we're, cer we're certainly going to see Shaquille Griffin get tested during the um training camp period from his own team and I mean you know he'll get tested from you know the, the training camp opponents as well you know they probably want to do some um at least one or two you know mixed practices with the ops we'll see how that goes they haven't announced it but they might do that but you know like he's going to be seeing you know they play teams like the Saints um, and it's some um, the other names escaping me in terms of the other teams they play in the preseason. But I mean, he'll see fierce competition there as well. And I, I want to see how he fares when it comes to man to man situations. Yeah, they get the Cowboys, but that will be the third preseason game. So I, you know, I wouldn't expect them to to play the starters in that game. Uh, yeah, but I mean, if anything, I can just say just Jay, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, as far as just looking at the fan base, uh, the fan base's reaction to him. It's not going to be for a lack of trying. I mean, everybody loves his attitude. You can just see it come through whenever he does interviews, whenever he is, you know, shows up on Jaguar social media. I mean, the guy is just excited to be here. And like you said, I don't doubt for a second that he is certainly up for the challenge. And, and like you said, he's going to be tested for sure right there on his own team against these underrated and uh, underappreciated guys for sure. Yeah, man. Like you can't help but love his attitude. His attitude is infectious. You can't help but love his love. He, you know, this is one thing. Say what you want about Urban Meyer. Him and Urban Meyer love the state of Florida. They put on for Florida. They represent Florida and Rayshon Jenkins too. Um, you know, they I think they're St. Petersburg kids, him and Jenkins. So they they known each other for a long, long time. Um, but yeah, man, like he he's a guy that's gonna be a fan favorite because you can relate to him. He's a Florida kid. 
Um, he's a guy that understands that bond. He's a guy that understands the county of Duval and the city in Jacksonville. And he also, you know, in, in terms of a football player, he's on board with the culture. And that's what you need is you need that leader that's been somewhere that, you know, that has been proven. He's a former pro bowler. He's been with the uh, the likes of Seattle, even though we said Seattle has struggled in the last few years defensively, but Seattle has still had success is what I'm saying. So he knows what a successful culture looks like, and he's still on board with Urban Meyer's culture, which speaks volumes. And he's going to be a key figure for this team, not just because the money, but like he's already established himself and we see it not as a big time community figure, but he's also a big time leader. And a lot of people are looking up to him. A lot of the C.J. Hendersons of the world are looking up to him. Uh, you know, the Tyson Campbells of the world are looking up to him. D he's the guy that they're going to look at the whole defensive backfield, to be honest with you, in terms of being a leader. You know, the you know, the alpha male, if you will, the Jalen Ramsey of this this new look Jaguars roster. If you're looking at the defensive backs. Well, listen, Jay, between the offense and the defense, of course, there is going to be so much to look forward to. And, you know, it's right around the corner. Of course, we are wrapping up. OTAs and, and hopefully we're going to be able to bring you guys some uh, you know on-site feedback of what we see if we are able to if they open things up a little bit more uh, as far as the uh, you know the COVID regulations that would be uh, fantastic but Jay that's pretty much it for this episode uh, glad we could do the defensive side of things here uh, this week um, is there anything else you want to let our listeners know anything they can look forward to not only here on the podcast but of course over on the Jaguars wire Nah, man. Um, you know, we pretty much got all of the training camp takeaways off of off our chest. I, would, I mean, you know, we'll still talk about training camp and bring about other topics surrounding training camps and stuff. We'll, you know, we'll make some fun of it. Um, you know, leading into training camp, but everything training camp wise in terms of the takeaways and what we want to see, that's you know, that's done. Um, of course, on the site, you know, you could continue to look as you said earlier at the top of the hour. Uh, the rest of those contracts getting signed with the rookies, the first round guys and the second round guys, which should happen soon, as I said. So we'll be monitoring that as well. Um, you know, I guess we'll monitor, you know, if the Jaguars want to get more help at the tight end position, you know, because that's that seems to be a concern. But then again, I don't know, like we're hearing decent things about the tight end group coming out of OTAs. Again, it's just OTAs and the pads haven't gone on yet. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, man, pretty much covered it all and uh, can't wait for the next episode. That's right, folks. Again, thank you so much for joining us here this week. Again, if you are enjoying the show and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. We appreciate you guys so much for, uh, that have already gone out of your way and done that. Thank you. You can also find the show, of course, on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Make sure to check out Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts on social media, Instagram and Twitter. They have an awesome library that we are very, very grateful to be a part of. Again, tweet the show or find us on Instagram at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find Jay at SportsGrind underscore Don. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. This has been Believe in the Jaguars presented by Bet Online. Don't forget to believe in the Jaguars, but more importantly, believe in yourselves. We will see you next week, guys.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.